ready to learn about the next big vegan documentary in the making? Today with me is Andrew Alexander on Teaching the Vegan Podcast, episode 11. On today's episode is Andrew Alexander, who's currently producing the vegan documentary, Creating a Vegan World. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know that you're currently in Australia, and it's, I believe, around 8.30 in the morning. Correct. Yeah, the other side of the world. So all my interviews, I schedule every time of the day. <laughs> Being that it's the next day over there, I feel so cool talking to someone in the future. Definitely, yeah. Always one day ahead. So talk to me about this documentary, Creating a Vegan World. How did this come about? Definitely. So after working in marketing and vegan marketing for a while, I decided I wanted to start my own thing. So it started off as a vegan health pack, which is a vegan subscription box where I was building out the runway for that business. Then I made a post in the Facebook group. I got bored one day, made a used Photoshop to make some poster designs. I was like, I have this idea. What if I film a documentary and call creating a vegan world? So I put eight little pictures together, posted in a Sydney, Australia vegans group. And in that small community, it kind of like went viral, like hundreds of people commented, they shared, like 20 people reached out to me. And in my 10 years of doing business and creating things, this was like the first like really great feedback. I know like this is something people want to see just by the name of it alone. So um, when that happened, a vegan interior designer here in Australia, she reached out to me saying she wanted to be filmed. And one person she offered to do um, the video recording to a, she's a freelance videographer. And during that conversation, um, the first interview I did was through Zoom, where they asked, she's like, I want you to find somebody who'd answer the question, why is being vegan more expensive? So when you go to the coffee shop, we were just talking about coffee before the interview, um, if you get soy milk or almond milk, it's, it's an extra 50 cents. So I did a Google search in that moment, I reached out to David Simon, which is the author of Meatonomics, which knows the economics behind meat. We had an amazing interview. He interviewed, he introduced me to a number of people. I believe Paul Shapiro is author of Clean Meat, um, the cellular-based agriculture industry, and a few other people. And just one interview spiraled to another. Um, I'm doing a number of in-person interviews for the actual documentary. So the vegan interior designer, I filmed that. Emma Hurst, she's a politician, a vegan politician here for the Animal Justice Party in Sydney, Australia. She's a member of parliament. And pretty much the frame of the documentary is what would it take to create a world with 8 billion vegans? So I know there's a lot of, when I first went vegan, I was like, there's the animal rights activists. I did some activism, the one-on-one outreach. And of course, beyond meat, there's uh, some businesses that are popular, but what I'm really learning through all the interviews is like, it's a jigsaw puzzle with 75 million pieces. And we each have our own little um, little piece that we put in. And some of us, we want to do big things and make like the next billion dollar company, like beyond me to change the world or start the next anonymous for the voiceless big thing. But it's even the small things are making a difference. Um, let's say somebody rescues a cow from a slaughterhouse in Colorado. They go in, they rescue an animal, they bring him to a sanctuary. What's going to happen? Another one's going to go right back in and the system keeps churning over and over and over again. And until we switch the system for the better in a way that everybody wins, whether it's ourselves, governmental policies, even people that work in slaughterhouses, mm -hmm. like 700,000 people in the US alone might lose their jobs 
if we put that out of business. So there is projects that help them get out of the industry. So it's a huge puzzle and everybody's working together. So talking about the system changes, I interviewed uh, Dr. Clapper. He's well known for his preaching of plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. But what I really interviewed him on was the work he's doing in medical schools. So before the interview, I was talking about my reasoning for going into Vegan Health Pack, where after being vegan for three years, I was diagnosed with high cholesterol, really high triglycerides to the point where they prescribe medication and my B12 and vitamin D were deficient. So I hated taking pills. I refused to take the prescription, but I regrettably took some of the supplements. I was like, is there natural sources of this? So when connecting to the documentary, I pretty much, when I go to a doctor, they prescribe medication and there was no advice about the nutrition aspect of it. So when I was building out the business, I wanted to find all natural sources of B12, vitamin D, calcium, iron, zinc, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so like vitamin D comes from the sun and mushrooms as opposed to needing to take pills, but follow the health advice. I don't want to lead people the wrong way because every doctor I speak to says, take a B12 supplement. But looping back to the film, um, when I interviewed uh, Dr. Clapper, if we want doctors to prescribe plant-based diet solutions for the people who don't necessarily need the medication, we need to make a change to the system. So he's going to medical schools, educating future doctors about plant-based nutrition. So there's a, stu there's a statistic online about things like 25 hours of medical study goes to nutrition alone which is absolutely nothing. But what he's saying now is most of the doctors in medical school he talks to, they watched Forks Over Knives. They watched What the Health. They're familiar with plant-based nutrition. So even though some of the doctors I go to now who don't, who go straight to the prescription, mm -hmm. um, the next generation of doctors, maybe four or five years in the future, a lot of them are already plant-based themselves. And it's kind of like doing this documentary gives me a sneak peek of the future, which so when he shifts the system, the education system, it, um, it kind of spirals around and this way more people could get the right information. So in pretty much every area I interviewed, there's examples of that type of change. So that's really what I'm trying to focus on and see what different systems there are and what can we change to create a vegan world. Are you still working on it or is the project finished? So COVID, because I'm in Australia, the borders are closed. So if I leave, I can't come back and all these restrictions I've been filming the first couple of interviews here. And over the next one and a half, two years, I'm going to, I've interviewed people on Zoom for preliminary interviews. They're in Europe, they're in the UK, some are in Canada, some are in the US. So once the world travel restrictions settle down more, most of the filming will be done um, over the next two years. And I'm looking for an early 2023 release date. That's fingers crossed. But in the meantime, to make sure this information gets out to the world, I'm doing Zoom interviews on my YouTube channel. I'm building out an Instagram following, just really a social media presence, delivering the same information that the documentary will, just kind of to build up the audience. So when the documentary is released, we have people um, familiar with my work and ready to watch it. Now, Andrew, you brought up that 700,000 workers will lose their jobs if, let's say, slaughterhouses were to shut down. I recently wrote a piece about how uh, oat milk in New Zealand is doing so much better in sales than dairy milk and how they opened up their first plant-based factory. Do we see that coming here in the United States? 
anytime soon? And do you think that there are workers that are willing to, let's just say, uh, transition? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, there's two organizations I interviewed that are addressing this problem. So that number is 700,000 workers in the U.S. alone in animal ag. So throughout the world, I think the some statistic was like 1.3 billion people, whether it's workers or their families or someone in the community are dependent on some type of livestock production, I put that in quotes. Um, so it's a really big problem. And if we tear down, say, the dairy or the beef or whatever industry, these are real people that have real livelihoods. A lot of them are immigrants. They don't have the education to qualify for their jobs. So it's not like we don't want to see them as like evil. They're in some instances, they're the victims too. So there's one interview I did. It's the Brave New Life Project, which is a nonprofit based out of Colorado. Mm-hmm. They help workers transition out of animal agriculture jobs into jobs that are more sustainable, humane, and prosperous. So they partnered with an organization that does hemp production. So their goal is people who feel trapped at slaughterhouses where um, management say they'll deport them if they speak up about the cruelty or different things like that. And instead of that thing, they have like a shine, like a window of light where maybe they could transition to a hemp production farm, some type of jobs are qualified for. So there's that. And another interview I did was with uh, Geraldine Stark from Refarmed. She's in, I believe she's in Europe or the UK, where instead of tearing down the dairy industry, it's transforming it. So she works with local dairy production farmers in the community and she turns their dairy production into plant-based milk production facilities. So the same infrastructure, the same farms, the same employees, the same management, they no longer produce dairy and they're now producing plant-based milk. And I guess the pasture is turning into like a makeshift animal sanctuary. So that's a really interesting model where it's, you don't lose the jobs and everybody wins in the process because when I spoke with government officials who are vegan, they're saying um, pretty much if they destroy an industry and lose jobs, they'll lose constituents and their community would be annoyed. So these ways to transform and make sure everybody wins, it's, it's, it's an effective way to do it for everybody and it's how the system works. Well, this definitely proves that you're passionate about vegan activism and being vegan. Now, what led you to lead this lifestyle? It's always a weird answer. I always hesitate to say it, but boredom. So I mentioned to you before the interview, I built an internet business in 2014. I did a lot of traveling. I went from one city to the next. I never really had like a a core group of friends or like a core community because I was moving around so much. So when I went to Boulder, Colorado in, when was it, 2016, 2017, but I got invited to a vegan potluck. I just went on meetup.com. I was like, I'm bored today. Let's go to this potluck. So I drove there. I met some people. It's like I got welcomed into the community. So I got invited to go out hiking, go to the activism events. They said, go to the sanctuaries, watch these documentaries. And it's really the potluck dinners where there's in Boulder, there's like a community house where there's like maybe 20 or 30 people every Saturday night pre-COVID. They had potluck dinners. I showed up, made friends and just that sense of community is really what like kept me in. And of course, over, once I saw the documentaries and I really understood the vegan message, there's of course the health aspect. I feel better for it. And the animal rights was the bigger thing. And right now, ever since doing the film, I'm learning more about the environmental impact. And 
it's like the point where like you understand things, but when it starts to hit deeper in your emotions, like that's where I'm going in that sense right now. Well, it looks like you were introduced to your calling through this meetup website. How funny is that? Definitely. Yeah. Like that got me into veganism as well as like a vegan marketing position where I went to a, a raising capital meetup group in Colorado as well. And I met the CEO of a vegan company and he said, I'm starting a vegan startup accelerator in Lima, Peru. And he flew down there and I joined him and helped launch a company called VegReady, which is ready to eat vegan meals. So uh, myself and a team of other people were working on a vegan startup accelerator, building a vegan business. And um, that's another chapter of my life. So meetup.com got me to go vegan, help start vegan businesses. VegReady. Okay. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So it's an American company, but the meals are, I guess, sourced from Peru because they're non-GMO. So the CEO of the company, his name's Mark Perlmutter. He's the one I met at the uh, the meetup group in Colorado. He flew to Peru um, because they're producing the meals there and then just building everything remotely. And he loved it so much, he decided to stay there. So now, is this an organization that helps uh, with local communities feeding them? I'm not sh- sure the specifics of how the food uh, the impacts of the community, but I just know, um, yeah, it's, it's vegan, non-GMO, no added sugar, no preservatives, and it's ready to eat with no cooking, no heating, no refrigeration. So it's like a, it's, you know, like a jar of tomato sauce. Like when you can something, it has a long shelf life with the acidity from the tomatoes, things like that. So um, I know the main reason from doing it is help the convenience factor for people who don't want to cook the vegan meals. It's just open and eat type of thing. Plus he was really big in health. I know before he started his company, he filmed a documentary uh, for the exact name is what's reversing diabetes in 30 days through a, a raw vegan diet, where I guess like a doctor and like six people were there for 30 days and really big about the health. So I know that was his main thing about it. My God. Well, I definitely feel as though there is still a negative stigma behind the word vegan. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. So as us vegans, we love it. It's it's like an identity, so it's no problem here. <laughs> you know, I mentioned the, the transition between when I started Vegan Health Pack as the vegan subscription box. My intent was to deliver the products to vegans and help people with, say, heart health, gut health, brain health, etc., But then after putting things out there, I learned we're vegans. Most of us are healthy already. So it's most of the people coming into my website are, say, people in their 50s or 60s. They might have high cholesterol. They might have things along those lines. They might want to avoid Alzheimer's for the brain health type of thing. So they don't identify as vegan. And every time I speak with them, they talk about the word plant-based. So through that kind of learning as I put things out there, I realized plant-based is what resonates with the people, the mainstream more often. So I'm rebranding that company over the next year. Once I get back to the States called plant health pack, where it'll be all natural things that help with heart health, gut health, and brain health. I worked with, um, spoke to vegan doctors, vegan registered dietitians to help me choose the right ingredients. So artichoke leaf extract is clinically studied to lower cholesterol. Then there's other things like rosemary. I believe that's for uh, helps with brain health. And there's all these studies on different things like that. And of course, things like chia seeds, flax seeds, just to get people more interested in more natural whole foods, plant-based eating. So 
Um, I'm in the early stages of that. Just I want to I don't want to overwhelm myself. So I'm doing the documentary, and once things settle in, then that's the plant health pack is where things are transitioning to. I think it's a great idea because not only does it help simplify things to a person who isn't used to vegan food, but it breaks down as to what's this one particular food for, what's this good for. And, you know, a lot of the times I have people asking me uh, that they want to transition to a vegan lifestyle, but they don't know where to start. So I think subscription boxes are so helpful in that sense because of how simple they are, yet highly nutritional. Now, people are looking for this because they're new to it. And, you know, it's funny because you had mentioned why is plant-based, eating plant-based so expensive. And I think it's for the sole reason that there are so many brands that are available to us now, which is amazing. But we forget that vegetables and fruits and nuts are what we should be focusing on. Absolutely. Now, earlier in our conversation, you'd mentioned that you had some complications with your health when you initially went vegan. After going vegan, I had I got my blood work done for the doctor for the first time three years later, and then the cholesterol triglycerides were really high, and then the B12 and vitamin D were low. So that was the example with the documentary where I just, um, the doctor prescribed medication and he didn't give me any advice on diet. So what I since learned about that is there's healthy vegan, which is more whole foods, plant-based, and there's junk food vegan. So while it's hands down a better option beyond burgers versus a meat burger than like the beyond burgers. They, I don't know if they have coconut oil or like some of the vegan foods have like added oils, sugars, um, wheat pastas, things like that. So what I learned from my experience was that our bodies, our liver naturally turns some things into cholesterol and triglycerides. So like added sugar, wheat, um, oils, things like that. So I ran into that myself, and I think it's fairly easy for a lot of vegans to run into that because regardless if it's processed vegan food, it's still processed. I found myself initially gravitating towards those frozen meat alternatives, which, I mean, they're really not that good for you, but at the same time, you're saving animals. So I try to limit myself when it comes to eating fake meat. And focus more on a whole foods plant based diet, but it's 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 really easy to um, take the easier way out. Let's just say, with me, I was eating similar things like that every day. There's like a vegan duck here in Australia, where it's might be gluten or soy type thing, texturized protein, and absolutely delicious. But that obviously contributed to the uh, the higher blood work and things like that. But yeah, in general, I'm um, going back to mixing like the health and the affordability of it. When I spoke to David Simon. Of course, there's the government subsidies that artificially lower the price of things like chicken, where it keeps the price down and then more people buy chicken and with more quantities of being produced, that also lowers the cost for the manufacturers. And that's what keeps like meat products really less expensive where the government bails out most of it, but also the demand for it allows them to produce more. So for example, let's say Beyond Meat. They create 10,000 burgers in a month when they first getting started, for example. The price to produce each burger might be $10 each. But if Beyond Meat, when they scale out now, if they have big manufacturing facilities, they order the raw ingredients in larger quantities, 
that $10 burger for them to produce might go down to $1.50. I don't know, don't know the numbers, but as more and more people buy the vegan products, the vegan companies could order larger quantities, which means their suppliers lower the price of the raw ingredients. So the more money we put into the vegan economy, the lower the prices will go down. And at the same time, governments will take um, awareness of this. And there's organizations I spoke to that are shifting subsidies away from animal ag into plant-based ag. So when I think Agriculture Fairness Alliance, I spoke with them, a vegan lobbying organization. So once there's enough demand, like organizations like that, it's really going to make vegan foods more affordable. And in general, because you mentioned all the different ingredients that go to things in Beyond Burgers, if you order, say, brown rice, beans, local vegetables, like depending on what you eat as a vegan, it doesn't have to be more expensive. So in comparison to a meat diet, um, I think there's some studies saying on average, one person saved either $23 a week or a month when they went whole foods plant-based. So if you're buying the vegan ice creams, the Oreo cookies, that'll make your grocery bill go up. So in addition to being healthier, whole foods plant-based versus just junk food vegan, that'll save you money too. Now, when I go into my grocery store, all the organic produce is twice as much as the conventional products. And the problem is not everyone can afford or have or has access to cleaner and organic foods and produce. So does the same go for organic produce? Like if people bought more organic food and vegetables and fruits, would the cost of buying it go down? To be honest, I really don't know the answer. I've, I have not looked into that or the other things I spoke with the experts, but it's just, if there's a way to scale out the production. If there's more demand in things, they might find a way. Like I have a friend, he's building out technology for indoor growing facilities. Like, you know, like hydroponics and things like that, like indoor growing lights, where that's an industry that I think is going to be up and coming in the, in the years ahead. So the way he wants to label it is better than organic, where if you're growing inside, you don't have to worry about them spraying pesticides to keep bugs from eating the food, like things like that. So in the longer term future, I see things like that healthier, even healthier than organic could be lower in general. But in the short term, I'm really not that familiar with that, the organic side of things. I've been seeing more and more advertisements for hydroponics. Is that how you say it? I think it's hydroponic. I know that's the uh, term used in the cannabis industry. I think it there's it carries over to like those urban growing centers. I, like I said, I've been seeing more and more people doing it and it looks pretty interesting to me. And I think that people who don't have the sunlight that they need to grow vegetables, that this would be a fantastic alternative. Yeah, same here. So I guess when you grow things outdoors, like I said, there's the bugs and they spray pesticides, GMOs and all this other type of stuff, but indoors it resolves that issue. And if there's climate change, I know his biggest thing for creating the company's climate change where if it's difficult to grow with the soil being depleted or the outdoor environment, like he just pictures skyscrapers of these types of things inside of cities producing healthier food as a necessity for the planet. But um, my only concern is I'm not an expert in this. I'm just a, a normal person. But if the sunlight provides the elements for the plants to grow, if using indoor like lights, Um, I don't know if it's the same type of thing or if there's any difference there. So that's my one hesitancy for eating those types of things myself. But it's a lot better than a lot of stuff on the supermarket shelves now. (laughs) 
There's definitely pros and cons to everything, but what's really tragic is what's happened to our soils here in America. Our soil quality is so depleted of nutrients, the bacteria, the fungi that are so essential to having healthy soil to grow these full, dense nutrient foods and also to protect our gut microbiome. I mean, bacteria and fungi were the cure to some of these diseases that we would have in our in our in our in our guts and you take a look at our great grandparents and our grandparents and you wonder why they didn't have nearly as many of these conditions and autoimmune diseases that we're seeing now popping up in in our generation and we take a look at what our food is growing in and it all comes down to the soil definitely i'm, I'm familiar with the term regenerative agriculture i know some people into that where I'm not sure the details about it. I definitely want to do an interview with someone who's an expert in that, but it's like if the soil is depleted from nutrients or whatever from growing, it's like a way to restore all the things you talked about. So I'd be really more interested to um, hear someone talk about that. Then um, you mentioned you like the different diseases that pop up. And for myself, is the cholesterol, the triglycerides. Like I didn't make the change until it was kind of, I got that big warning sign. For some people, it's like until it's already too late, like people don't eat until they get the heart attack or the doctor says you're going to die from smoking quit, where I really think it's kind of looping back to the bigger picture thinking that I like to think is it's it's the system changes that are easier to make than individual human behavior, where there's a lot of people, they're eating the wrong way, but they just, they're not aware of it. They don't know it yet. They don't feel the pain. And even people say it's bad. They still don't make the change where one example is like the shrink wrap or the, the saran wrap that seals things. One organic cafe here in Australia, they do their best to be sustainable. They recycle all the, the food waste, et cetera. But the manufacturer puts the saran wrap on there and just it's plastic that goes into the landfill. It's something they're passionate about. So I found an, a company that makes biodegradable saran wraps. So when you make changes at the higher level, and another example of that is Renewal Mill is a company. It's a, uh, was it these, the tofu factories? There's the husk from the soybeans that gets pretty much thrown away. And what they did, they went inside of the tofu factory. They created their own little section. They made an agreement with the owner. And whatever the food waste was, they turned into flour that's gluten-free that could be used for cookies and baking and things like that. So it's making these changes at the system level that I feel doesn't require those hard behavioral changes with people's diets at the individual level. And um, I view the world as a puzzle, as you could probably tell from my answers so far. It's disturbing. It's sad that these companies trick these these poor people into thinking that their their food is healthy for them because they label these these products with, oh, low calorie, gluten-free. And sometimes they'll label a product that naturally does not have gluten and they'll put gluten-free and the consumer will think, oh, well, since it's gluten-free, it's got to be healthy. No sugar, but there's chemicals. Exactly. And these poor people have been falling for it for years and years, and it's time that it's stopped now. We have to really create pushback with these companies. And what's even sadder is that when these people are diagnosed with diabetes, when they're diagnosed with heart disease, that the doctor, instead of focusing on what they're putting in their body, what they're eating, what their nutrition is like, 
They automatically give them medication, which comes along with so many different side effects and creates a whole new other problem. Most of these diseases and these conditions are preventable through food. Now, that's not to knock down modern day Western medicine at all, but a lot of these things could be prevented with proper nutrition. Now, I interviewed my friend and doctor, Dr. Akil Tahir. He's on one of my episodes, and he spoke about how he was diagnosed with heart disease and then, you know, turned into a heart attack, and then he had to have open heart surgery. But after his surgery, he switched to a plant-based diet, and he is healthier and has more energy than he's ever had before. He's 60 years old, and he's doing all these triathlons, he's climbing mountains, I have a very similar story in a sense where I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and I knew that I didn't want to be on medication the rest of my life because, you know, initially I was invited into the doctor's office and he told me that if this doesn't get better, eventually I'm going to have to get surgery and have my colon removed. As soon as I heard that, I said, this is no way for me to live. I switched to a plant-based diet. I slowly introduced it to myself. And it's been the best decision I've ever made. I'm in remission. In fact, I've reversed almost all symptoms. I'm healthier than ever. My hair grew back. My hair is thicker than ever. My skin is amazing. I have energy like a child again. It just works for me. I understand maybe being vegan doesn't work for everybody, but I think people really need to give it a chance. Definitely. Yeah. The big thing I learned from Dr. Clapper was there's vertical medicine and horizontal medicine where 90% of what he sees people go in for is vertical medicine. Like people standing up, they're not on a stretcher, they're not requiring immediate surgery. And that could be mitigated by diet. But at the same time, there's the opposite side of the spectrum where you might really need the prescription pill. You might really need the surgery. And in my instance, I might've been too far where like, I might've needed that prescription, but like all natural, I don't prescription drugs are bad, blah, blah, blah. Like in some instances it is necessary. So that's why people like Dr. Clapper or the doctor you spoke with, it's really great to speak with someone who knows what they're talking about. Cause there's two extremes. And in general, if you're on one end and you change, you might go too far in the other way. So creating a vegan world documentary, let's go back to that. What needs to be told? What can you tell us listeners now listening? The world is going vegan. The world is going plant-based. There's even the cellular-based agriculture industry, people who will never eat vegan foods. There's ways to grow meat in fermenting machines from a cell using lab-grown technology. That's It's already legal in Singapore, the first restaurant opened. So even people who won't go vegan there's ways to make the world more vegan without harming animals and the environment through things like that. So regardless of what happens, I just see the world going vegan. But my goal with the documentary is in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, maybe 150 years in the future, I want to create a blueprint for changing the world. So this is, there's all the reasons why to go vegan. The doctors talk about in like what the health forks over knives, but this is behind the scenes, like if we want to make a change in the world, what has to happen? So that's why I'm going to government officials, lobbying organizations, businesses, doctors, and material innovators, all these different like system changes. So other example is the recreational marijuana industry. It's legal in Colorado, in, in Washington, many states now, like 
what really causes these changes in the world to happen. So the mainstream might see, like, was it 2019 is the year of the vegan? It's not just an accident that happened. It's not only the activists on the streets that make the change, but I just want to create a blueprint of like what really happens behind the scenes of change in the world. And then if there's a child welfare or human rights or some other type of issue in the future that needs to change the world for the better, I just want to make a blueprint so people can replicate the process. So that's really what I'm going for here. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing this in the near future. Now, where can people find you? So it's veganworldfilm.com. I'm trying to build up my email newsletter. So this way, if I approach Netflix with 100,000 or a million subscribers, it'll be an easy way to get on there and expand the message to more people. So veganworldfilm.com. And I'm doing the in-person interviews and Zoom interviews. I'm posting an addition documentary I'm creating on the brand. So on YouTube, creating a vegan world. I'm posting a lot of my existing interviews there. So if you're interested, check it out. And if you know somebody who's making a difference in the world, whether it's a medical person in the media or business, um, feel free to reach out to me and I, I'd love to interview more people. Andrew, thank you so much for talking with me today on your documentary and more about veganism. And I hope that people visit your site and uh, contribute to this. 